0: Good morning, Junior Church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed. Uh, They'll take you over to Junior Church right over here. Uh, If you're new to here, we just want to remind you that you can use the Bible app on your phone. Um, That's the, it's called the version or the Bible app. You can follow what's on the screen will also be on that. So it's a digital bulletin and you can save it to your phone and have those notes uh, for you for later on. Last week, I mentioned that Charleston, South Carolina is ranked as the best city to visit in the U.S. How many have ever been to Charleston? Okay, several of you, okay? So, um, that's rated for nine years in a row as the best place to visit. However, ranked the second worst place to visit in the United States is Detroit, Michigan. Here's some pictures of Detroit. Detroit, known as the Motor City, was once bustling, growing, thriving city. And now look at those empty blocks. That's not a war zone. That is actually taken last year at one of their factories there. This once thriving city is dying. Their way of living is gone. We started a new series as we've continued our study through Acts and Paul starts on his secondary missionary journey. Last week, we stopped at Thessalonica, and there we saw the Jews had taken residency in the city of Jealousy. Today, we're going to move a few verses in chapter 17 to the town of Berea. Let's go to verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas, this is back in Thessalonica, away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue now, Berea is about 50 miles from Thessalonica. It lay on the eastern slopes of Mount uh, Vermian on the Olympiad mountain range. It's kind of a, a remote area, region there, but it was a very significant city in the area, having been the capital at one time of Macedonia. Uh, it was a very sizable population. It was, a, it was a great place to go on the mountainside there. Now, for him to go from Thessalonica to Berea, To start at night time, now remember, if you traveled at night, there were bandits on the roads a lot, so this was a hazardous travel. And by foot, it would have taken three days to travel to Berea. Paul believed, as we can tell through all of his letters and his habits, that the Jews had first claim to the gospel. For Jesus was their Messiah. Jesus was born Jew, had come to fulfill Jewish scripture... No matter how bitterly Paul might have uh, been persecuted by unbelieving Jews, there was always that remnant that he tried to make sure they would hear that message. The good news. Uh, The gospel. You're going to hear lots of people in churches say gospel. Gospel means good news. And Berea is no exception. He just was ran out of Thessalonica for preaching the gospel to Jews. Three days after a journey, he goes into Berea and he preaches the message to some Jews. Now let's recap a little of Thessalonica. They lived in the city of jealousy. They were jealous of what Paul was taken away from, and what they perceived Paul was taken away from, of being the moral religious, of being the moral uptight, of the moral superiority of all other people groups on the planets. Now, the uh, the Bereans did not live in jealousy. Instead, they lived in a great city. A city that we should all want to not just participate or visit, but a city we should live in. For years, preachers have taught about the great faith of the Bereans. I was told that you want to make sure all your churches are like the Berean believers. But what, what makes their faith so good. What makes the Bereans such an example? And really it comes down to they live their faith in such a simple way that it has given them a great reputation for centuries. And what we're going to see here is the, Bere- the Bereans lived in Simplicity. city We're visiting the cities of Acts. See what I did there? Simplicity. city Come on, I thought it was clever. Get used to it because we're going to visit several cities in Acts. These Bereans had a simple way of living their faith and as a result, not only did they grow in faith, but they gave us a great example. So let's look at their simplicity that we need to go and live in. Verse 11, now the Jews were more noble than those in these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul did the same thing in Berea that he's done in every other town. He goes to the synagogue and he preaches. So in Berea, he does the same thing. He reasoned with them. He discusses. He preaches. He teaches the differences how the Thessalonians versus the Bereans received the message, there's a difference between these two cities. Some in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica believed, some did, and as a result it, it grew and there's a church. But here, it's different. Verse 12. Therefore, many of them, not some, many of them believed, along with a significant, that means a great number, of prominent Greek women and men. I already said this before, but we need to, because it keeps getting repeated here. People in this culture are trying to tell us that Scripture, that the Bible really demeans and pushes women down. They need to put them in their place. That's what the culture says churches do. And yeah, what did the Scripture just do? It elevates Jews. It's trying to show those are God's people in the beginning. But more than that, prominent Greek women were listed first. And in Greek language, that is very important. They did it specifically. It's not something you would reorder. Um, here, he is saying these Greek women are important. Not to the culture, but to the church. And then some men. It's, and some men. So if anybody ever says that the church, that the scriptures demean women. Because this is written in a time where you wouldn't include women. That's what that culture said back then. And the scripture said, no, there are prominent women and, of course, some men. So we need to remember that. Paul preached the same message, but this time many Jews, many prominent Greek women and some men believed. Why? What is the difference here? Why did the Bereans respond in faith when it's the same message that the Thessalonians heard? The answer is found in verse 11. Look at that again. And we're going to park on this verse for quite a while, so really look at it. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They were more noble than the Thessalonians. What were the Thessalonians like? They rejected the word. They lived in the city of Jealousy. What are the Bereans different? It says they were noble. What does noble mean? Noble means distinguished of exalted moral or mental character or excellence. They had an exalted moral character. These believers in Berea had exalted moral character. They had higher expectations for what it meant to live according to God's Word. Now, how did they get there? I, just, I would love for people to call me noble. Wouldn't that be kind of... With that description, you know, we think... Elegant, um, high-esteemed, regal. And if I tried to be noble, you guys would just call me fancy pants. Because I would fail at being noble. But that's what we think. We think of someone high-class and esteemed, and they carry themselves with poise. And uh, that's not what he's talking about here, noble. How do we become noble like this? How do we become noble like Scripture describes? How do we be like the Bereans, where other Christians around the globe would say, now those Christians at St. Joe, they're more noble. We're going to look at this. Uh, Ezra gives us a good example. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra set his heart to study The law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach His statutes and rules in Israel. He set his heart to do what? Study God's Word. What does Scripture say about the Bereans, verse 11? They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with eagerness, examining all Scripture daily to see if these things were true. It says they received the Word with eagerness. That means they were zealous for knowing God's word. When you get a puppy, and, and you're getting, you know, it's all, puppies eager for everything.
1: But when you set out
0: food, and it knows that that bowl means food, what does that puppy do? His tail is wagging so fast, his back feet have no traction. His whole hind end is moving because he is eager to eat that food. We, we told you, we have a puppy, we got one, it was our quarantine puppy, our COVID puppy. And whenever you get this yellow ball, oh my goodness, it's like you just bought a 16 year old a car. I mean, that's how he feels. He is eager to go get that ball. And it says these Bereans were eager. Bereans simply had an open heart attitude to receive God's word. That's that next phrase. The Bereans had simply had an open heart attitude that's you, John, turn not, to receive God's word. These Bereans had an expectation, they had an eagerness, they had a willingness to hear from God, to hear from God's word. It's not that they wanted to hear these things so that they could debate them. It's not that they say, Well, tell me what God thinks, and I'll decide if I agree. They wanted to hear it, not to make themselves feel better, but so that they could grow closer to God. And notice it said they had that eagerness to receive that message. They were anticipating it. They were anticipating hearing the message of God. What about St. Joe? What about all of us? Do we as a whole have an eagerness to hear a message from God. A little boy was playing with his blocks when his father entered the room, and he said, Quiet, Dad! I'm building a church! And he was building this church, and this dad was like, This is great. My son is wanting to build a church, and he's all excited about it. He says, Well, why do you want me to be quiet, son? Because the people are sleeping. And we laugh about it, but... Many times is the church sleeping? How many times is the church sleeping instead of eager to hear the message? I know sometimes it is hard to stay awake with some guy up here on stage. I know it. I worked third shift for a whole year, and I hated communion meditation when you're supposed to bow your head and close your eyes. Because I'd be contemplating, (coughs) oh yeah, wake up. And I I would have to pinch my leg just to keep myself awake during some of those sermons. Because some of those sermons are bad. Just admit it, there are some bad sermons out there that just want to put you to sleep. How many of you ever tasted dog food? Wow, that's a lot more people than I expected. That's weird. Okay, It's not good is it? It's bad. And yet the dog is eager to have it. Because they know it is good for them. They know that it is best for them. And I don't care my attitude. I don't care my circumstances. It doesn't matter. I should be eager for the word of God. It is God's message. I'm tired. So what? Man, I had a bad day. I don't care. I'll tell you right now, I have a headache. I feel like my left eye is going to pop out of its socket. It hurts. But God's message is right here. Do we have an eagerness to put all those things aside and say, I want to hear from God. I don't care about dinner. I don't care about who's coming over. I just want to hear from God. I am excited for that. Vance Hoover, an old preacher, said the same church members who yell like Comanche Indians at the ball game on Friday sit like wooden Indians on Sunday morning. And we've all seen that. I've seen people hoop and holler and they're yelling, they're excited, and they come to church. Can't you tell I love God? And you can tell they love football. Oh, they let you know that. Can we really get excited about ball games or other things in life? But where is our fire, our eagerness, our anticipation for God's message? Instead, many times aren't we critical, negative. Did you see what he's wearing? He didn't make me feel good. Here's a little poem I found. Some go to church just for the walk, some go to church to laugh and talk. Some go there the time to spend. Some go there to meet a friend. Some go for speculation. Some go there for observation. Some go there to doze and nod. Some, so few, go to worship God. What has happened to our eagerness? As I was looking at the Bereans, it's what really hit me. Are we eager, anticipating? Romans 12, 11 says this, Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Where is your? Sh- I, I have a couple questions, and I don't want you to answer, I don't want you to tell me these answers, but I want us to think about them, because I had to answer them for myself as well. Why did you come to church today? Was it to hear a great message? Was it to hear some great songs? Was it to see some great people? was it so that you could be in the presence of the great God? And I had to answer that. I think we all need to. We need to be like the Bereans. Have that readiness, that eagerness towards God and His Word, which is what made them noble. Notice what else the Bereans did. They weren't just eager to receive the message. Verse 11, they received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if they were so. The Bereans simply examined a message for truth. They examined things for truth. They were diligent to take that message they were heard. They were excited, they anticipated, but there was also the anticipation that I get to break this message down and make sure it's true. They compared it to other scriptures to make sure it was right, which means if you're going to examine something to make sure it's right according to the rest of scriptures, what does that mean about the rest of scriptures? You've got to know them. You've got to know them. Uh, Banks, they are always training their tellers, their employees, to know the difference from counterfeit money and real money. You know how they do it? They don't give them a bunch of counterfeit money. They said, this is the real money. Study the real money. Study how it feels. Study how it looks. Study how everything about this. That way, when something counterfeit, you're like, "That's, that's wrong. That's different. That's wrong. And that's what we need to be, like these Bereans, that we are constantly studying all the scriptures. That way, when somebody says something that sounds great, we're like, wait wait a minute, that doesn't feel the same as the rest of scripture. These Bereans knew scripture. They were studying scripture a lot. And that made me ask the question, how much am I studying scripture? Studying it, not to prepare for a sermon, but studying scripture just Because it's his message. And I want to know more of it. There was another young boy who came to his father with a question. And I love when I hear questions that kids ask their parents. Some of them are great. Well, this one, the dad, hey dad, is the moon really made out of green cheese? And, you know, there's all those things. The moon is made out of cheese. And this dad... Was busy reading his newspaper and he replied, go read the Bible and see. I love his reply, but how he delivered it was bad. Well, the boys left and he went and did that. And he came back. He said, "Is isn't made out of green cheese, dad. Well, how did you figure that out, son? Because the Bible says God made the moon on the fourth day and he didn't make cows till the sixth. Some of you don't understand how milk. When I read that, my first thought after laughing was, how did that boy connect it? He went and studied it. And if this is how God made it, then I know that can't be true because this scripture is. This young man knew that if he checked everything with scripture, he'd figure it out. What would it be like for us? Man, I have this new job opportunity. Let's go back to Scripture. Man, I, I'd really like to date or, or get to know this special person. Let's go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say about it? Well, should we be doing this with our family? Let's look at Scripture. Wouldn't it be so great if we checked everything in our life according to Scripture? We compare everything with what we're heard or thinking compared to the Word of God. We can we know we all should. Does anyone know what this is? There's a picture going to be on the screen. What is that? It's a square. Even though it's a triangle, for those of you who don't know, that means it's a square. Okay. Some of you are like, that's not a square. That's an L or a triangle. It's called a square. What is the purpose of a square? What? To show perfect 90 degrees, to show perfect level, to show perfect straight. Okay, that's what, yes, it has measuring on it, but the purpose of a square is to show you a perfect square, to align everything the right way. Okay, it's also been called to use to see if a board is true. What does that mean? Straight. It's solid. It's not twisted or corrupt, okay? And... and This is what, when your square is out of tune, you get rid of it and you get a brand new one. Because this is right, not the board. So everything gets compared to these. And we have a square. We have something that can tell us if it's straight or true. We can tell us if something is a little askewed. may look good, but it's not. The carpenter who doesn't use this has warped wood. He just does. And the Christian who doesn't use this has a warped faith. The Bereans were noble because they used their scriptures. God has given us his word so that we can know him. We can know what he's saying and and to know Him eternally, to be saved eternally. Dwight L. Moody, a very famous preacher, and if you could ever read things of Dwight L. Moody, just do it, because it's going to be good. But listen to this quote. It should be on the screen. If all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months, he said. I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like, like lightning, but faith did not come. Then one day I read the 10th chapter of Romans, and I put it in there. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. I closed my Bible and prayed for faith. Now I opened my Bible and began to read God's word, and faith has been growing ever since. I want faith. Faith cannot come without the message. Because it's where the truth is. We must examine the scriptures daily if we want to know God and get our fire back. We have too many in the world um, grasshopper Christians. I just heard this phrase, I was, listening, and I was like, what? They just eat a little bit and then hop away. And then they eat a little bit and hop away. Instead of coming and digesting the whole word of God. We just pick snippets and leave we need to not be, that that grasshopper scripture tells us we must examine the word. Look what 2 Timothy says. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has um, no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How can we rightly handle the word of truth if we are not studying it? We have to study it. I I got a, a brand new table saw. Uh, A year or so ago. And do you know what I did before I used it? I read the instructions. Do you know how you know I read the instructions? Still got them all. I read because I wanted to make sure I use this thing properly. How do I put the board in? How do I use everything on it? And yes, so many times in my life, I fail to do it with other things that are so much more important in my life. Well, I think I know the answer. Let me just tell, this is what I need to hear. I think I know the answer, but he does. And I've got to get back to that 2 Timothy 3.15. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. How much scripture? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us whatever is true, whatever is square, whatever is right there. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work. God uses scripture to equip us to do Good works, Which means if you want to have a positive influence in the world, if you want to have a great godly impact in the world, you cannot do it without the Bible. That's what that scripture just said. You want to have a good impact on your children or grandchildren? You need scripture. You want to have a good influence and impact spiritually on your spouse? You need scripture. You want to be able to influence your your job with the ways of God? You have to have scripture. It just says God uses scripture to prepare and equip his people, us, to do every good work. Because the Bereans simply lived out their faith in this way. Look at the result. Go to verse 12 through 13. As a result, many Jews believed, as many prominent Greek women and men, But then some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, and they went there and stirred up trouble. Because the Bereans simply opened their heart to Scripture, because they simply examined for truth, the Bereans simply grew in faith and in number. They simply grew. They grew in faith and in number. When we live in simplicity, Our purpose is to turn people to God, not us. To turn people to his word, to the message of the good news, the gospel of Christ. In our text, whenever Paul preached the word of God, many people believed. He preached the simple message of Christ, not a complex do's and don'ts. But a: you have sinned, you are going to hell without him. But guess what? Jesus can save you. He simply preached Christ. He simply presented the message of salvation. And the Bereans lived in that simplicity. I'm not talking boring, simple, where there's no thinking. I'm talking they didn't muddle it up. And as a result, their church grew in faith and grew in numbers. So it's time for some reflection here. What about us? Are we preaching or presenting the message to others outside of the church? In a simple way that you can come to know God? Or are we telling them you have to get it right before you come to God? If, if we're not, how do we expect people to believe and respond to Christ if we're not telling them? I've heard so many people say they're sick of this culture. They're so tired of this ungodly culture. I'm one of them. While going through this, the question that really hit me in the head, and I know it was God saying it, he goes, so what are you saying different? Are we coming in here, holding up, complaining? Oh, it's really bad out there. Or are we, like Jason was saying, living the real love of Christ and going out there and saying it and living it and pointing them back to the truth? Do we not have a message to share? Do you have a message to share with people? If you know Christ, you do. Doesn't the message of Christ apply to all people? If so, how can we share it? What is our motivation that's going to get us talking to other people? To have that eagerness and anticipation. All it takes to be simple in your faith is to know it, to expect it, and then to go in it. Be eager to accept God's message with that open heart, to examine Scripture, to make sure everything you're hearing is true. And when you do that, you're going to find you're doing more and more ministry. I get asked a lot I just don't know God's will in my life. How do I know God's will? I'm not going to tell you God's will. Do you know why? I'm not God. I'd like to think sometimes I'm as good as Him, but I'm not. I am a horrible substitute for God. But you want to know His will? You're not going to guess it. He's going to tell it. He's going to review it and share it to you. He's going to show you how He equips you. That was in that scripture. I just don't think I can do ministry. Really? He will equip you to do so. He said so. And the more we read scripture, the more we're going to start realizing, I'm doing ministry. I'm doing it more. And more, because we keep practicing it. The more you examine scripture, you're going to see your perspective changes. Do not try to get your perspective right before reading. Let him do that. Many of you wear glasses, right? Did you go to the doctor and say, I'm trying to get my eyes corrected before I get the glasses on? That's ridiculous. That's what the glasses are for. This is how you look through the word. Or the world. You you have a skewed vision. We'll look through it here so that he corrects your vision. Then we will start seeing how we should truly do. Let him change your perspective. Charles Spurgeon, another great theologian, said this. If God has spoken, listen. If God has recorded his words in a book, search its pages with a believing heart. If you do not accept it as God's inspired word, I cannot invite you to pay any particular attention to it. But if you regard it as the book of God, I charge you, as I shall meet you at the judgment seat of Christ, study the Bible daily. Treat not the eternal God with this disrespect, but delight in His Word. Do I believe this is the Word of God? And I, I was really looking at that. Do I believe this, this is the Word of God? Yes, prove it. How do I prove it? That this I truly know is the Word of God. That means I must read it. So that I can know it and defend it. So that I can know it and share it. So that I can know it and obey it. But if I don't believe it, that's where it'll sit. I want to leave with one more little tidbit for you. Many of you have heard over and over again that you need to read Scripture Daily. And sometimes when we hear that, it just is like another to-do list. Are you kidding? I already feel bad enough about my life. Why give me something else to make me feel bad about? Um, And truthfully, this is why so many preachers are teaching it, because we in America, the American churches, are incredibly biblically illiterate. We just are, and it's a lot of the time the fault of the guy up on stage. It just really is. For generations, the church has done a horrible job um, of helping people learn to read the Bible and study it for themselves. Instead, we come to sit to listen to some great-looking, very well-educated, spoken person, and we call it good. And that's what the ministers have taught. You can come to me. I'll tell you. I'm not doing it anymore like that. Because I'm a poor substitute. Especially when you already have the real. As a result, God is not welcoming because the church has not done a good job of this. Instead, the church is promoted to come on Sunday morning and hear one or two people talk about scripture. And as a result, our nation is no longer a Christian nation. You can try to argue that with me if you want, but it's just true. We are not a Christian nation. And if you don't believe that, just go look at the laws. As a result, God is not welcome in the entire education system or the judicial system. As a result, Christians, uh, by Christians not studying the word of God, not reading the Bible for themselves, evil, ungodly beliefs have entered not only the country, but they have entered the church. I'm not trying to do a guilt trip. I, this is preachers, a lot of preachers' fault. We should study Scripture for the truth that God tells us. That should be enough that He says, Read my word. But to sweeten the pot, to help us, I found this, and it's all found in one psalm. I found a list that I want to share with you. Seven reasons why the Bible study will change your life. One, you will be blessed if you study Scripture. It says so. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law. Of the Lord. That that means scripture. You will be blessed. You will be purified. Number two. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. That means adults, it's our job to help our kids be purified. That means we've got to teach them and show them the word. Three, you will see amazing and miraculous things. Verse 18, there open my eyes to see the wonderful truth in your Instructions. That means by reading His Word, I'm actually going to see it fulfilled in front of me. For you will be revived. How many of you are tired? Look what it says, verse 25. My soul clings to dust. That's what I feel like in this world. Receive me according to your Word. Or revive me according to your Word. His Word, He tells us, will revive us. Five, you will see God's love. Oh, Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees, your word. Six, you'll receive wisdom and direction. Your commandments, scripture, give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And then this last one. And I want to say this and really hear this one, okay? You will have peace. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. How many of us are just so tired and exhausted and we have no peace in our life? His word in that psalm tells us how to do it. These are sweetening the pot. Not only will you get to know God, which is great not only will you get to know salvation, which is just fantastic, but you will get these seven things and more. If you're like a televangelist right now, you can get these and more if you sign up. No. I am tired of this commotion, turmoil in the world. I'm tired of it. You know what I want? I want to feel some of his peace. I want to feel some of his joy. I want to feel some of his... Excitement again. And I can't do that without this. This is why the Bereans were noble. Because they took the word of God and they studied it. They lived it. They expected it. They were eager about it. And isn't it time that we helped change that notion? What about the Bereans? No. What about those at St. Joe? are more noble because they accepted the message with eagerness and open heart and they studied to make sure, examined that everything they heard was true do not believe the messages because a preacher said it don't you check to hear everything that's ever preached or said on stage according to scripture because sinful people get up there and talk but the perfect one gave us his word we need to study this. And then we will live in simplicity. That's what God says. Well, I don't agree with it. It's in God's Word. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with God. We can live in simplicity and just a great, peaceful, revived faith walk. I'm ready for it. tired of doing it my way. Let's live in simplicity. We're going to come together again and worship God. We're going to stand before Him. And isn't it time we thank Him that we don't have to be perfect, that we don't have to have it all right, that we can just come and say thank you for doing it. Yes, go ahead stand up. It's all right. We're going to stand and we're going to worship and let's go before Him and thank Him that He gave us His Word so we can know what is true.